Hey, you know, uh, Jesus said to his disciples once, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. They will do even greater things. You know, we're starting a series today called Greater Things, and it's a collection of messages about this thought that in spite of the great challenges that we're facing, God is still calling us to do greater things. It's, it's, it's an acknowledgement that there are great challenges in our own individual lives. There are great challenges in our time. But we're, we're not going to stand in fear of that. That there are greater things that God has for us. And so we're going to move forward in spite of some of those fears toward those greater things. We're going to choose to act. You know, sometimes like it can just feel overwhelming the way things are. And it can just kind of paralyze you and, and cause you to kind of stumble back and just kind of hold on till Jesus returns. But I don't think that that's our calling today. God has called us and enabled us to do greater things. Um, when I think about great things, you know, the accomplishments of human beings in history, you know, I think about you know, penicillin and antibiotics and the polio vaccine and the Wright brothers, you know, first flight. I think about the Declaration of Independence. I'm thinking about in 1807 how British Parliament signed the Slave Trade Act, which was the first domino really to start following in the developed world that, outlaw, that outlawed slavery. I think about Shakespeare's Hamlet. So many great accomplishments. Maybe you have some great accomplishments. If I sat down and looked at you face-to-face -face and we talked, you would have like a bucket list of things that you're really proud of, things that, you know, you may even think as a person of faith that God accomplished through you. One of the things that all these great things have in common is kind of my main thought today for this message, is that great is a choice. Great is a choice. You know, nobody stumbles into greatness. In your story, in the stories of history, there's great perseverance and diligence and planning and hard work and, and battles and challenges that came with the greater things. And in those moments, when they made those choices, they were choosing the greater thing, not the status quo. You know, there are a lot of stories in the Bible about people who made the choice to do something great. And one of my favorites is in the fourth book of your Old Testament. It goes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And it's not an exciting chat title, is it? Numbers. It has a lot of numbers in it, but also has a couple of great stories. This is one, and I want to share it with you today in Numbers 13 and 14. And, and it's, the context here is after the children of Israel have left the slavery of Egypt, with all, with all the bravery that it took to do that and wander out into the wilderness without uh, like a, you know, a whole plan. But they, they did that in search of the promise that God had given them, that there, there was a land for them, a place that God had called them to go to. And it, it was specifically theirs to claim. It was going to be their place a place where they could raise their families, a place to be a people, a nation, a place to thrive, a place to worship God as they chose. 
and have all these hopes and dreams about that, and then they come right to the edge of this land called Canaan, and they stall. And the, I'm going to pick up the story in Numbers 13.1, and while, while they wait on the border of Canaan, the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. And what Moses does is he picks 12 representatives, one from each tribe, the nation of Israel at that time. So it's like the early Congress. And they are their representatives, and they've given, they're given an assignment to recon this land. And they're supposed to go into this region and find out, like, what's it like there? Is the soil good to grow food? What are the people like? Are they, are they fortified? Are there even people in there? What, what's the situation? I want, if you're an underliner or a quoter or a highlighter, I want you to pick up in that, in verse 1, or when, they, when Moses sends these men into this region, he says that this is a land I am giving to you, that God is giving to it. And so, we're going to come back to that, what that means, to be given a land. After these 12 go in and check it out, they come, in verse 27, they, they return and they give Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. It's amazing in there. But, you know, there's always a but, right? Verse 28, but the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. Isn't that how it goes? Like, I have this big dream. I have something that I want to accomplish. I want to be this kind of person. I want to do this thing for the Lord. I have this dream. But... Could you write that story? I mean, you could write a story like this, couldn't you? I, I can. It's like, I have all these hopes and dreams, but something in my way. So Caleb, there's two people you'll meet in the story today, Caleb and Joshua, and, and you should read their stories, but I'm going to introduce you to them. Caleb is one of the 12 representatives that go in, and verse 30 says, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. I see that there are challenges there, but we can do this. And then there are 10 of the representatives that went, that they dispute his version. In verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. So you have a situation in which two groups of people, see, they all see the issues, but they have entirely different perspectives on what to do about it. You have a difference of opinion. But just like us, it goes beyond that. It isn't just, oh, we have a disagreement, so let's work it out and have dialogue. It's been a long time since we've heard that, right? Verse 31, uh, or 32, they weren't just satisfied to disagree. They spread among the Israelites, a bad report about the land that they had explored. It's like, it's not just we don't, we don't agree. It's like they've turned it into an issue. And in chapter 14, verse 1, all this, whatever it is that's stopping them, their disappointment, their fear, 
the, the changes that they perceive are going to be made, the challenges that are there, all of that fear turns into grumbling. Chapter 14, verse 1, That night all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud, and all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Don't you love that? Here they are wrestling with their own fears, possibly failure, kind of the unexpected challenges that were there. And rather than like sitting down and talking about it or praying about it or considering different perspectives, they say, God, this is your fault. We should have died. It would have been better if we had just died before we got here. It so hasn't been worth it. The old days were better. Let's pick a new leader and go back. They grumbled. Their disappointment and their, their surprise, the surprise of what was there, it caused them to grumble. Here's a little tip, and this is in your notes. When it comes to doing greater things, grumbling is not greatness. Grumbling is not greatness. I know they have the same amount of letters and they both begin with G, but they're not the same thing. So the next time you face a challenge or a big change or something unexpected comes up, if you sound like the Israelites, can I just say to you, you're probably not being great in that moment. You're probably grumbling. And into that context, Joshua... The other guy I want to introduce you to, he speaks up. And in verse 6, he says to the entire assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. And then in verse 9, Caleb joins in. He says, don't be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. So is there anything that jumps out of these two versions that's different to you? Can you see what's different about Joshua and Caleb's perspective of the challenges in front of them that's different from the other ten? What is it? Say it out loud. Hope, positive faith, trust. I want you to see that, like, they're not blind to the challenges. They see everything that is there. They see the difficulties. But they have a different response because their confidence is in God. You know, greater things are accomplished when great challenges are met by great faith. Greater things are accomplished when great challenges are met by great faith. And you know, great opportunities, they're always accompanied by great challenges. Otherwise, they would just be ordinary opportunities. Like tonight, an ordinary challenge is going to be the question of whether I'm going to eat three or five cookies after dinner. 
It's going to be five maybe. <laughs> but the great challenge, the great thing would be to not eat any cookies. I'll report back on that next week. <laughs> do you believe that if God has called you to do something and prepared you, do you believe that you can trust him to enable you to do that? You know, Paul Wright wrote uh, to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5.24, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. And in, and in Philippians, a book we just studied, chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul says that if, if God has called you you can trust that he will be faithful, and he will do it through you. And he says that whatever work that he's begun in you, he's going to carry it on to completion. You can, you can bank on that, that he's going to do that. Now, it's important not to translate this confidence in God as easy. I want to go back to, again, like just in our thoughts, when the Lord said, this is a land I'm giving to you. He didn't just give it to them. Instead, he gave them a history of confidence in God and a faith and a trust in him. And he gave them the equipping and the wherewithal and the people to accomplish the task before them. And I found that most often that this is how God does things through me. I, I sense a calling and, and because of the people around me or the people on my team or experience that I've had or education that I've gotten, God gives me tools. And I use those tools to accomplish his work. What, what do you do with tools? You work with them. And God gives us, Peter writes that he's given us everything we, he's given us the divine nature and everything that we need for godliness. He, he's given us the equipment and the tools, but if our tools are just sitting in the toolbox and we never take them out, then we're not going to do great work. They're just nice tools. I'll tell you why this is important. Because the greatest risk most Christians face are not choices that will ruin their lives, but those that will waste them. The greatest risk most Christians face are not those choices that will ruin their lives, but those that will waste them. I mean, sometimes it's really necessary to have that constant prayer. It's like, God, help me not to do this thing. I just do not let me totally implode my life. Those are appropriate prayers at sometimes. But if that's your only prayer, you are so missing out on the great things that God has intended for you to do. It's, it's to fall far short of the great things that Jesus said that he would do through us. Do you think the Israelites, the ones that didn't want to go into the land, were, were they ruining their lives? No, but they were wasting their lives. 
I'd love to tell you that after Joshua and Caleb gave these great speeches that inspired me, I hope, I hope they inspire you. It's like, put your faith in God, right? Yeah, we're going. It doesn't work out like that. In verse 10, the whole assembly talked about stoning them. <laughs> I love that. It's like, man, I tried my best. I had some motivational words, and they just want to kill me. First they wanted to get rid of me. Now they want to kill me. You say, like, Britt, are, are you saying that every harebrained scheme that a person comes up with, God's in that, and, and God will promise to help you do it? No, I'm not saying that. I mean, uh, absurd things are not great things. And, you know, when God calls us to do something, it's corroborated through a discernment process and those around us and the people that love us and speak into our lives and his word and that calling. Once it's validated and clear, it's like we can go forward in that confidence. Remember that in this, in this context, the possessing of Canaan was a lifelong dream of the Israelites. It was, they were released from slavery through an, a remarkable miracle of God, multiple miracles of God. God is totally in this, and it's why they... They went through all this, why they wandered through the desert and put up with neg negative people and spent far too long out there. Like This is all part of God's plan for them. It is a God-inspired place and work that God has for them. But they came up against challenge, and they folded. And God, you know, I think for us, we can have inspired callings. We... We can have dreams and goals. We want to do something greater. And it doesn't have to be like some magnificent thing. It could be that you just want, your greater thing is you, you want to have a better marriage. Your greater thing is you want to be a great parent. You want, you want God to bless the ministry that you're involved in. You want to complete a degree. You, you, God has blessed you, and, and you want to be more generous. That's the great thing. Or you just want to wake up in the morning with, like, something to wake up for and say, you know, it's not like, God, just help me not to fall. It's like, God, I can't wait to tackle this day because I know you have plans for me. Those are some of the great things that we long to do, and we'll face challenges. Um, I just got back from men's retreat last night. Some of the guys are probably uh, getting ready to drive home. We had an amazing men's retreat. Uh, the best I can remember in memory. There's just, there's such a camaraderie among the guys, and we had so much fun. And ladies, I'm telling you, your husbands are going to come home different. You can bank on that. They're going to come home tired. Well, you're used to that already, but... Um, no, God did an amazing work up there. And I had a conversation uh, with one of the young guys that's up there. His name's Danny. And uh, last retreat, Danny and I talked, and he was working on his bachelor's degree. And this year when I talked, he's working on his master's degree. He's got five kids. And also this year, he took on a new challenge. Uh, a, he, took, he bit off a big new job. So he's got five kids. He's completed his bachelor's. He's working on his master's. And I'm saying, you know, like we're having a conversation about that. And he, and he says, you know, I got to go, man. I got to go do some homework. 
So here's a guy that like has like an inspired vision of what he wants for, for his career, for his family, and he's working so hard on it. He's, and he's missing out. He still came to retreat, but he knew that like he couldn't do everything that we were doing. Like one, one of the things that we discovered up there, uh, have you ever played human foosball? You know about foosball, but they had like this court. You play, you're on these pipes and you move around just like foosball and you kick the soccer ball. Like, I think that we should raise money through the Capital Improvement Fund and put one in the hallway. It would be awesome. And he, you know, he didn't get to play because he went to do homework, but he showed up at men's retreat. And I just, it's a guy who retooled at 29 and went back to school. Um, I really admire that. And so his hopes and dreams have all these challenges that come with it. And the thing I would ask you is, like, how are the experiences and the education and the people in your situation today and the resources that God has given you, how is that setting you up to do a greater thing? Because if it's something that God has called you to do, and today you're facing obstacles and challenges and it's gotten hard, I want to remind you, that if God is in that, you can trust him. You can trust him to follow through and be there with you, even if it's hard right now. Second thing I want to point out about greater things is that greater things are accomplished when both our eyes and our hearts are wide open. When both our eyes and our hearts are wide open. And for the Israelites, this was especially important, and yet some missed it. It's one thing to have your heart wide open and to be like emotional about it. It's like, and to have hopes and dreams, but you also have to have your eyes wide open about the challenges that come with those hopes and dreams. And I think that this is part of what stopped them. I'm not, like when I talk about the 10 that were kind of naysayers and the people that grumbled, I'm not like bagging on them. I, I find myself in that situation frequently. But the difference, I think, is that either their hearts were closed or their eyes were closed. You need them both open. Their eyes were closed. They, they, they dreamed about the promised land, and they got there, and then, like, they were surprised by some of the challenges. And then when they saw the challenges, they didn't have the heart to follow through. It kind of explains the difference in responses there. You see, if you're all heart and no reality, if your eyes are closed, then you kind of have like pie in the sky, denial, la-la land perspective of what is in store for you to accomplish the greater thing. As I said, greater things come with big challenges. And they were surprised. And they weren't ready. You have to keep your eyes open. Because Great isn't to ignore the challenges. It's not to pretend like they aren't there. Because often we, we get, I didn't see that coming. We have to keep our eyes wide open. If, if not, then you'll, you'll have hopes and dreams. You might even get emotional about them. You might even have an emotional experience about it. But nothing will ever change. Because when the hard thing comes, you'll stop. Because you're closing your eyes 
to the challenges that are there. And, you know, the opposite is true, too. You could have your eyes wide open and your heart closed. You can see what's there, but you could have kind of lost your hope and your confidence in God. And if you're that person, you, you say, when you look at what's there, it's like you, you kind of say, well, I've seen all that. That's how it is. That's the way people are. And, and you just kind of get cynical. You see it. You see the challenges, but the heart is gone, and so you can't let yourself care anymore about that dream or that greater thing that God is calling you to or the greater things that are going on around you. It's just like you just shut down. And in your head, you say words like, well, I, I know how this will turn out. It's not really worth trying. We'll, we'll never agree on this. She's always going to be this way. Cynicism. You know, to be cynical, there's like a, there's a good reason to be cynical. Cynicism is a result of experience. If you have cynicism, it's like your eyes are wide open. You're like, I've seen that. I know how this goes. How many of us play that tape in our mind when something happens? Oh, I know what happens here. Here we go again. That's, your eyes are wide open, in that, but that's creating cynicism in you because cynicism is experience without hope. Your eyes are open. You, you have all this experience in education and tells you, like, I know how this turns out because you've lost your hope. You've lost your confidence in God. When it comes to doing greater things, have your eyes wide open, but keep your heart in it. Because when your eyes are wide open, you can get overwhelmed. You can think, it's not worth it. It's like, it's, it's too much. And that just shrinks your heart. Keep your heart in the game. I love how the Good News Bible puts Paul's words from Colossians 1.23 it says, you must not allow yourselves to be shaken from the hope you gained when you heard the gospel. You can't allow your hope to be shaken from you. Another way to put that is you can't let the hard times of life knock the living hope out of you. Because life will do that. But you have to remember with your heart, that the gospel changes things. The gospel changes people. It changes situations. And there is always hope. Because God isn't limited. So if it feels overwhelming and you feel like giving up, or you feel like caving in or imploding, or you just feel like grumbling, keep your heart in it. Return to the hope of the gospel and don't let things shake that out of you. Keep your eyes wide open. Look at reality. But remember that God is with you. You know, a few, uh, a few weeks ago on Vision Sunday, I challenged you as a church to take our vision to deepen faith, bring hope, and live love. I see some of the T-shirts representing here. Thank you. Keep wearing those. There's still, there's still some available, like, 9x large, something like that, and like little tiny. No, we, we have all sizes, I believe. But I, I challenge you to make that personal, not just like your church's vision. And part of that vision is to bring hope. 
the world is messed up. But there's still hope. There's still something we can do. There's still hope because we have the gospel. Now, some of you say, well, you know, I, I don't know how this applies to me, Britt. I'm not conquering any lands. I don't have any upcoming wars where I'm going to step into the promised land. But no, but you are making choices. You're making choices every day. Are you choosing the greater thing? Choosing the greater thing with your eyes wide open and your heart in it. And you're choosing the thing, the greater thing, with confidence that God is in it. I want to let you know, if you're thinking about greater things, that the Declaration of Independence, First Flight, and Penicillin, they're all taken. So you have to find another greater thing. One of the things that we're going to do, what I'm hoping we'll do as a church, is we're going to participate in a greater thing through Operation Christmas Child. And I want to show you a video to tell you a little bit about it, and then I'll give you some details. Roll that. They're excited, overjoyed, and we can see it on their face, you can see it on their eyes. Some of them are receiving the gifts for the very first time. It's a symbol to know that God knows me and God loves me. Jesus loves you. Before handing out the boxes, we share the gospel with them. Through this shoebox, we want to tell a child that God loves you and he has created you. We've been able to touch the lives of children all over the world to give them a gift and do it in Jesus' name. Osis is making a difference by bringing this joy, but also giving them the true gift, which is Jesus. It's changing the globe. Volunteers from all walks of life and all ages love packing Operation Christmas Child Shoebox gifts. Operation Christmas Child is seriously one of the best things going on in the world right now. Operation Christmas Child is carried on the backs of volunteers. They are incredible people. They just love doing it. It's humbling to know that you're taking part in spreading the Word of God to children that you've never even met. You're showing them the love of Christ. There's going to be a lot of happiness, and I'm glad I'm a part of it. When we pray, God takes your gift, and He begins to navigate it. Your gifts are then given to children around the world, and that's only the beginning. After a child receives a shoebox, they are invited to a follow-up discipleship program. The Greatest Journey is a 12-lesson program where the child gets an opportunity to learn more about Jesus. It provides a summary of, of the gospel message in a way that a child will be able to engage and understand. Through The Greatest Journey, children are growing now knowing the Lord. When you give a gift and you give it in Jesus' name, God takes that and multiplies it. Every shoebox is really the beginning of the journey of evangelism and discipleship, and that leads into multiplication. Through a very small thing, God is touching the world. From the shoebox to the greatest journey, this is the Great Commission. A shoebox puts a smile on the face of a kid anywhere in the world. For the rest of their lives, they remember that box.
Isn't it incredible to see the impact that these simple gifts are making in the lives of children all over the world? Millions of children are being blessed not only by the items in each box, but by your prayers. So thank you. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support. We never have enough boxes. We always need more. So please continue to help and continue to pray. God bless you and thank you. What do you think? Can we do that? So every week in November, we are going to give you a practical outcome of how to bring hope, how to do a greater thing. And you know, we did this in the first service, and we had 300 boxes in the extrovert hallway over there. I know some of you didn't see them because you came in the introvert hallway, but in the extrovert hallway, um, there were 300 boxes, and in my last count, there's only 15 left. Only 15. Yeah. So you guys are applauding because you don't have to get a box. I said, no, just kidding. Every week we're going to have something for you. And first service just blew it out. That's where the real Christians are, I have to say. <laughs> there are some boxes out there left. So if you can, get a box. There are instructions in it, and bring it back here or to Chick-fil-A. Back here next week, Chick-fil-A. we got to get them in the shipping containers and gone. If you missed out, this week in my email, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to connect you with John Belo, who kind of spearheaded this project, and you can be a part of the team that helps prepare these to be shipped if you still want to be in. Next Sunday, we're going to have a whole new hope initiative for you. But um, jump into this one. You know, we can do greater things in our own lives and as a church at Sunridge. Let me take you back to the story of the Israelites on the edge of Canaan. And I want to let you know that, like, God gave them exactly what they wanted, no matter which category they fell in. In Numbers 15, 28, the Lord said, As surely as I live, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. That's awesome. If you want to stay in the desert, you could stay. And you know what? They did. They got to stay in the desert and die in the desert. And, and for, probably some of them didn't feel that bad about it. It's like it's nice and safe out here. But they missed out. They missed out on the greater thing that, sure, it had challenges. There was battles to fight. There was uncertainty. There was all kind of changes and course directions to make. It came with a cost, but it was greater. And I want to tell you guys that this month, this week, this year, this life, you're going to be able to choose a greater thing. You're going to leave this service, you're going to go home, and you're going to get bombarded by all those helpful political ads. Choose the greater thing. You're, you're going to watch the news, and you're going to see all these unresolvable tragedies in the world, and you're going to think, man, there's nothing we can do. Choose the greater thing. Some of you are going to go to work on Monday to that dead-end job, and you're thinking, I need to do something else. I need to retool. Or you can just stay right where you are. Choose the greater thing. Some of you are going to, this week, you're going to struggle with all the first-world problems, like, what do I do with my discretionary time and my discretionary income? It's like, choose the greater thing. Some of you are going to, you're going to be tempted to go back to your addiction this week. Choose the greater thing. 
Some of you are going to have a really bad day this week and you're going to want to get sloshed after work. Choose the greater thing. Some of you are going to hear gossip this week and you're going to want to engage in it. And I'm going to say, choose the greater thing. Someone in the office this week is going to flirt with you even though they know you're married. I'm going to say, choose the greater thing. You're going to get promoted. Your business is going to do awesome. Your career is going to take off and you're going to say, what do I do with all this money? And you could just soak it all up on yourself or you could choose the greater thing. You could Next week, you're going to see something wrong at your church and you're going to want to complain or help. Choose the greater thing. You're going to have an opportunity this week to speak up and to share the gospel with someone and you're going to be afraid. Choose the greater thing. You're going to watch the Chargers against the Raiders next week and you got to choose the greater thing. You're going to have a thousand choices this week. Choose the greater thing. It is a choice. It is your choice. Will you let God call you to and equip you to to make that choice? Choose the greater thing.